Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Career Education Report. I'm Jason Altmeyer, and we are thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Sandy Baum. She is a non-resident senior fellow for the Center on Education, Data, and Policy at the Urban Institute and Professor Emerita of Economics at Skidmore College. She's an expert on higher education finance and speaks and writes extensively about issues relating to college access, college pricing, student aid policy, student debt, and affordability. She earned her PhD in economics from Columbia University, and she really is somebody who knows more about these subjects than almost anybody. She, she writes and speaks extensively on them. And what I think is most interesting for the discussions that we've been having in recent weeks regarded the rulemaking process, the role of for-profit higher education and, and schools and, and students related to accountability uh, with higher education, especially in the for-profit sector. Dr. Baum has been in the past, I think it's fair to say, critical of uh, the for-profit role in higher education. And, and uh, I guess I would start by asking uh, Dr. Baum, what, what has been your concern? What has the research shown um, in your own research and others that has led you to be more skeptical, I think, than some about for-profit role in higher education? Well, there's a lot of evidence indicating that for-profit institutions disproportionately create problems for students. This doesn't mean that every for-profit institution is harming students, nor does it mean that every nonprofit institution is serving students well. But if you look at uh, student loan borrowing levels, if you look at completion rates for anything other than short-term certificates, if you look at um, the uh, problem of fraud and abuse of students who are promised one path and then they find themselves on a different path, if you look at school closures, you just find that a large share of the problems come with students who have attended for-profit institutions. So I, I think it's really difficult not to be concerned. I've always wondered why people who are involved with high quality for-profit institutions are not more concerned about this and are not more on board with strong regulations that would eliminate or limit at least the reach of the, those institutions that don't serve students well. And, and you've been a leader in, in that part of things. And, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show to talk about uh, the Opportunity America. Opportunity America is a Washington-based think tank that brings together their nonpartisan and they bring together people of different points of view to discuss issues related to uh, economics and entrepreneurship and higher education. And, and over the course of the past two, two and a half years, they brought together groups of people, both supporters of the for-profit sector in higher education and detractors. And they met, I, I think it was six times a year, approximately every other month uh, for two years and came out with a report. And uh, Dr. Baum was, was very involved in that and actually wrote an op-ed, uh, co co-authored an op-ed after the report talking about some of the findings. And I wonder, Dr. Baum, could you first talk about sort of the process and, and uh, generally speaking, who was involved and, and what the goals were for that, that uh, Opportunity America think tank study? Well, as you described, it was a group of people who came from different perspectives 
some were deeply involved in for-profit higher education and some were uh, clear skeptics of the sector. Now, this was not a random selection of people on this issue. There are people who, I don't know whether they weren't invited or they said no, but there was no one in the room who thought we should outlaw for-profit higher education. And there was no one in the room who thought that for-profit higher education was without problem. So we started from a point of respecting each other and saying we wanted to see if we could come up with any sort of consensus. My decision to participate in this group um, came from a, a couple of things. One, I think it's incredibly important that we develop a more effective regulatory um, process and system. And that's not going to happen if we don't get everybody on board to some extent. I mean, the for-profit sector has shown that it's very good at, at preventing us from developing regulations that they really don't like and they think will really damage them. So it doesn't make sense not to talk about it. We have to try to reach some consensus and um, so it seemed like getting in the room together and talking about what we could do was the only constructive way to make progress. You asked the question of why high-quality for-profit institutions aren't more supportive of some of these accountability measures, because it does, most importantly, when a school uh, does wrong, when they harm students, right? That is the most important factor. Students are harmed. Lives are drastically altered in a very negative way. Um, but also, it does embarrass the sector, and it paints everybody in a negative light who are providing high-quality education in the for-profit sector. And uh, one of the things that we have always advocated is that we're not opposed to accountability measures, right? No, nobody, certainly at CQ, the organization that I represent, and I don't think anybody in the sector opposes accountability measures. The issue that we have always said is that all schools in all sectors should be held accountable to the same standards. And we assume that when advocates talk about holding schools accountable, they're talking about all schools. And when they talk about protecting students, they mean all students. They don't just mean the 8% of students that attend a for-profit higher education institution. They mean all students. And I've talked before, I, I served in Congress, I was on the higher education subcommittee, and I was on the conference committee that finalized the language of the Higher Education Act the last time it was reauthorized. And I think I can speak with some credibility to say it was never Congress's intent to exclude from accountability and certainly to exclude from scrutiny the outcomes of every other institution of higher education except for for-profit institutions and and certificate programs at other schools. Now, that is what GE says, the gainful employment rule says, but under Section 454 of the Higher Education Act, it gives the department clear authority to apply accountability measures across the spectrum to all schools. And what I felt was most interesting about the Opportunity America report, and especially the op-ed that you co-authored, especially that it came from you, uh, you know, given your, your writings and, and thoughtfulness on the subject, was that it did recommend that accountability measures apply to all schools. And when I look at your, I looked at your op-ed and just, you know, give you an opportunity to talk more about it. But 
there were there were things that were bolded in the op-ed, and, and one of it says, our, our common commitment was to the idea that all colleges, regardless of whether they are public, nonprofit, or for-profit, should be accountable for student outcomes, including whether a program reasonably leads to a family-sustaining job. I, I don't think that anybody can oppose that or, or should oppose that. I know there are some that do in the rulemaking process, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. I mean, it was bolded in the op-ed. It's obviously a very important point, and it's a point that is uh, not necessarily being followed in the current rulemaking process. So can you talk a little bit, bit more about your thoughts on that and then how the group came together to, to approve that language? Well, we all agreed that all institutions should be held accountable, but we also agreed that for-profit institutions are different in significant ways from public and private nonprofit institutions, and that they deserve special scrutiny, that there may be uh, accountability measures that would apply only to them. That doesn't mean that other institutions shouldn't be held accountable, but it does mean that it's not problematic to say there are some things that are going to apply to for-profits and not to other institutions. So that's a really important distinction. So in other words, if you look at gainful employment, I mean, gainful employment applies to programs that prepare people specifically for employment in, in specific occupations. And it includes some public and private, nonprofit, many, many programs. So it's fine to distinguish certain categories. That doesn't mean that there should be no accountable measures. And I I will tell you that one of the things that really convinces me that it's not a good idea to just focus on for-profits is the ease with which many for-profits have changed their status. And the more we draw a sharp line, the more institutions are going to try to cross that line. So that to me is a a clear motivation for making sure that students are protected, as you say, no matter where they are. But I don't think it means by any stretch of the imagination that institutions that are owned by people who make profits from them, I mean, those institutions are different in some fundamental ways from institutions that are subject to regulatory bodies that are the state or boards of trustees that have no financial interest in those institutions. That makes a very big difference, the difference in oversight in these two categories of institutions. And you mentioned earlier the uh, completion rates, for example, are, uh, except for short-term certificate programs, um, were were worse at for-profits, the, the research would show. And, and one of the things I think that bothers our sector is the way, and Gainful Employment does this, it includes the entire spectrum of all types of for-profit institutions. So it has the four-year liberal arts online schools, and any anyone who observes higher education would recognize that the online student does not have completion rates higher, regardless of ownership status, uh, or the, that are even competitive in many cases with the same four-year degree, you know, in an in-person setting. There's just different challenges to to online education. But then you have the short-term certificate programs uh, for trades. You have nursing programs that could be master's or doctoral level. So when 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 you're thinking about 
higher education in the for-profit sector, most people put them all together and they'll show the outcomes data. And what I think we would like to see more of is, uh, for example, TECUS has not been uh, supportive of our sector and they put out the completion rates and they broke it out by uh, community colleges. Community colleges had a 25% completion rate. The for-profit sector had a 51.7% completion rate, all told. And when the department put out their cohort default rates, they broke it out with HBCUs and community colleges. And HBCUs and community colleges both had higher cohort default rates than the for-profit sector. And I think we would like to see more of that, of, of breaking it out and not just saying all private nonprofits from Harvard and Yale on down to, you know, to everybody else uh, are the same. You know, break it out. Let's take a look peer to peer. In a way, what you're doing is lumping together things that shouldn't be lumped together, though. So if you look, for example, at default rates, it is true that the share of borrowers from community colleges who default is similar to the share of borrowers from for-profit colleges who depart. But almost all students at for-profits default, and a much smaller share of students at community colleges default. So if you look at what share of students end up defaulting on their loans, it's dramatically higher at for-profit institutions. So if I were developing an accountability measure based on default, I would weight it by the share of this to borrow. So default is um, loans and defaults are much bigger in the for-profit sector as a problem. The completion rates, I think, are very difficult. Obviously, community colleges have a huge completion rate problem. I mean, I think it's hard to deny that. But the composition of programs at community colleges is quite different from for-profit institutions, which are much more heavily weighted towards short-term certificate programs, whereas community colleges have more associate degree programs. So there's not one completion rate that should be the threshold. And you can't line up institutions and say that Yale is a better place than, you know, community college because of the completion rate. That It's a whole different student body. But what you can say is there is some minimum threshold below which it's totally unacceptable. I don't care who your students are. If, you know, 10% of them ever get a credential, then 90% of them don't. And that's a problem. And, and, and recruiting those students is not acceptable. So I, I agree that you have to look very carefully at different programs, different goals, and everyone needs to be held accountable, but, the, but finding the problems is different. And you also have to look at earnings and the, the short-term certificate issue. There's now a lot of looking at this as we discuss short-term Pell, but most of the evidence is suggesting that the earnings outcomes even though there are high completion rates of certificates at for-profit institutions, their employment and earnings outcomes lag those of community colleges. And, and that's also a problem. You've got to put all of these things together, not look at just one metric. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you said that. And I noticed in the report uh, that we were talking about, the bipartisan gathering of, of thought leaders in, in the space. One of the recommendations that you all had, which I think leads to this, well, you and I both are, I think, making a similar point that we should compare apples to apples, you know, compare oranges to oranges when you're, when you're comparing institutions. So one of the bullet points that you put out in, in the op-ed as well as fleshed out in much greater detail in the report was that 
Um, for proprietary institutions, you as a group recommended a series of escalating sanctions for poor debt-to-earnings outcomes and then described what those were. But you recommended comparing colleges from similar institutions um, with comparable shares of Pell eligibility students. So it wasn't an absolute standard, irrespective of what type of school you were. You, as a group, recommended uh, a relative standard. where With you- an absolute threshold. That's really critical. That's very important. Because if you say your students have a very low chance of success, so of course no one succeeds, that's not acceptable. So there has to be an absolute threshold in addition to making comparisons to institutions with similar programs and similar students. Yeah, and we think that's a critical point. One of the things that we hear from folks is, well, what are you all afraid of, right? If, if you, as you say you are, people will say to us, if you're offering a high quality education and the students are graduating and getting jobs, you shouldn't be worried about accountability measures because they won't apply to you. And what we say is we're worried about the same thing that everybody else is worried about for having those same measures applied to them. The Texas Public Policy Foundation found out that if you applied the GE standards from the Obama era across all schools and all sectors, 89% of the failures would have been outside the for-profit sector. So what we're worried about is if you only apply those accountability measures to our sector, you will do so in a way that you would never have done so for other schools because you know it wasn't applied in, in, in a manner that uh, you know was fair towards those students. I haven't seen that report, but for example, right now the Department of Education has just proposed adding an earnings threshold to the debt to income threshold for gainful employment. And people have run the numbers and there's no question that the for-profit programs are much more vulnerable because their earnings outcomes are much weaker. And I think that the default measure would almost not matter anymore because there'd be such a high failure rate on the earnings metric. So I doubt it's going to go through as as proposed. But that's sobering to think how many people go to college, borrow a lot of money, and then leave unable to make as much as the typical high school graduate. That's a real problem. We've got to solve that problem. We've got to solve it together. Do you think that there are certain types of for-profit schools that would be more vulnerable under that type of measure than others? Well, I'm, I'm sure there are, but I think you'd have to look more closely at it. I mean, one of the problems that we have is that there are clearly some programs that are training people for occupations that we need, but that simply don't pay adequate wages. And I think we haven't figured out how to deal with that. Certainly, we shouldn't be make people pay a lot of money and, and borrow a lot of money to train for those occupations. But it, it is, I, I don't know enough to generalize about which for-profit institutions would be most vulnerable. But we certainly know that, for example, four-year programs at for-profit institutions have the worst problems in terms of completion. And I also worried a lot about the graduate programs because um, Black students disproportionately are getting their graduate degrees at for-profit institutions and graduating with huge amounts of debt. That is a problem that we absolutely have to tackle. We think that anyone who graduates with huge amounts of debt and can't find a job to be sufficient to allow them to repay that debt, that would be a problem across all of higher education. Right. 
Right. Agreed. And and similarly, and I'll just kind of wrap with this and then let you have the last word beyond that. But uh, you also, in the op-ed that you co-authored, uh, this this was bolded. And, and there was a list of risks for students who were attending all types of institutions. And you listed high dropout rates, graduates ill-prepared to succeed in the labor market, low-wage jobs, things like that. And then, and then this was bolded. These risks are present to differing degrees at many types of colleges, and all students are entitled to the same protections afforded to students in proprietary colleges. What do you mean by that when you say all students are entitled to the same protections? Because on one hand, it would seem some advocates say you shouldn't have the same protections, for-profits are worse and therefore should be judged differently. But here the group came to the consensus, and I'll read it again, that all students are entitled to the same protections afforded to students in proprietary colleges. Having the same protections for students in all institutions doesn't mean that exactly the same set of rules will apply. Because the fact is that by definition, students at nonprofit institutions have some protections that are not available to students in the for-profit sector unless the government imposes them. But I, I, I disagree with people who think that nonprofit institutions, by definition, only have the best interest of students in mind and we don't have to worry about them. It's very clear that there are nonprofit institutions that either because they're under-resourced or because they have rapid growth as a goal or whatever the reason is, are not serving a lot of students well, and and they need to be held accountable, and as do for-profit institutions. But I think it's unrealistic to ignore the reality of the problems that have been generated by the for-profit sector, of the risks that students face in that sector, and we need to develop a, a a strong regulatory system that holds all institutions accountable, but pays special attention to the unique circumstances of the for-profit sector. Let, let me just ask, you're, you're very plugged into what's happening on the regulatory side and the discussion that you and I are having right now. How do you think all of this is going to end? There are going to be rules that are promulgated, you know, there's going to be a comment period and, and the rules will take effect. You know, who knows what the future elections are going to show, but are we just going to get into uh, another back and forth where a new administration is going to come in and, and a new Congress and, and we're going to be in the same position that we were a few years ago? Or do you think we're going to be able to solve this problem in the long term so that we don't have differing rules and overturning the prior administration every time a new president is sworn in? The fear that you describe is one of the things that led me to participate in this group, and that leads me to believe that we have to develop a system of regulation that makes sense to people from lots of different perspectives. So my hope is that we can do that, that we can accomplish that, that people are concerned enough now about the problem of under-regulation that we can get support for a system that's effective. It's hard. They're not going to be perfect rules. I mean, there's no way. I mean, you can find deep flaws with any specific rule that is proposed. So we have to have a system that we can modify as we find its weaknesses. But we have to try to get everybody on board with trying to protect students. And we appreciate the thoughtfulness with which you have studied these issues and talked about these issues. And uh, as we wrap here, I just would give you, 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 uh, 
know the discussion we just had. Is there anything that you would like to add or, or any type of closing remarks that you think would add to uh, what we're thinking about? Well, I hope that people will pay attention to this discussion and will not immediately decide that arguing that all institutions should be held accountable means that you don't care about the for-profit problems and will not believe that if you think the for-profits are different, you are close-minded and a, a, you know not tolerant of the for-profits. I think we all have to talk to each other and recognize realities and find a way for public policy to really do a better job than it has done in the past of holding institutions accountable for student outcomes. That was Dr. Sandy Baum from the Urban Institute. Dr. Baum, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Career Education Report. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at career.org and follow us on Twitter at CQED. That's at C-E-C-U-E-D. Thank you for listening.